you're listening to the City Lights Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. I did a spoken word a couple um, uh, months ago back here um, during February up here at City Lights, and um, he had pulled over to the side of the road. I use Vox. It's just this app that kind of like records walkie-talkies, and uh, let's go ahead and just um, pass and take up giving while we do this, but um, he's on the phone. He can kind of get his words together. He's very emotional. He's really upset. He had pulled his car over. He's driving home from West Virginia. He'd been in West Virginia for the last couple of weeks, um, well, last two weeks at least, with his dad uh, named Edward, who I think is in his 60s and just struggling with a ton of pain, like in the abdomen area and lower intestine and these types of things, and um, and the doctor's prognosis was that he was um, very uh, at risk for fatality, for, you know, at risk to die from this disease. And they were kind of like within, within inches here. Um, and guess just got a good report from him that his dad is okay. Uh, but not only that, uh, but then after 20 years of Brad just being, um, walking with Jesus and praying for his family and just loving his family right where he is, um, through that process, the Holy Spirit obviously always is working, but especially just kind of broken and broke through this last weekend. And, um, and, and Brad's dad, Edward, trusted his life with Jesus this last weekend um, through just the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, and, and I just told him, like, that stuff never gets old. And I think in the kind of, you know, the, the nitty gritty of ministry and, and, and kind of, you know, doing support and going on mission and teaching the word, we can forget about the God quotient, you know, like the stuff that God does that we can't do. You know, Paul says that we water, we seed, we pray, we stay near people, we love people, we move towards people, we don't move against people, we don't judge people, we, we move forward in grace. But only God can interrupt a day like that and bring life where there was spiritual death and distance. And that's God, and that's the fingerprints of God. And, and that's just to remind us, stories like that just remind us that at the end of the day, he's in control. He's the one that is bringing goodness into our life. He's the one that provides. Another story really quickly, there's a... a um, couple of my small group uh, who serve um, in, the, in the kids' ministry, and they've been here for a long, long time. That's Scott and Julie Hafer. They have a daughter named Ashley, who's, I believe, a third-grade teacher in one of the schools here in Greenville, and she was diagnosed with cancer um, a couple months back, and they had this a date circled on the calendar in November of when they'd be through with the chemo treatments, and they're nearing the end of that, and they're seeing um, just everything pointing towards just full health and full recovery, which is a testimony of itself, but she listed in small group all the things that you can find on BuzzFeed or Pinterest or whatever about like things that can happen to you as side effects for chemotherapy, which she's been doing for the last couple of months, and she hasn't lost her hair. She hasn't had any fingertip issues, all the sorts of things that go on with chemotherapy. God has just protected and put a hedge of protection around her. And so that's just another testimony that God answers prayers. He answers specific prayers, and he's still good to listen to every prayer we would ask him for. And I want to challenge you this morning, as so many other stories have come in, like ask him for specific things so that when they happen, you know who to give credit to. And so God's good. He's moving, and he's doing the impossible. Amen? So we're in Ephesians 4, and, um, and, and we're in a series that's called Inherit. And um, uh, I just want to start this morning talking about a topic that I love to talk about. Um, any, anybody in here fans of the show The Office? Uh, the Office. Raise your hand. There we go. Uh, the Office um, It was a long-term favorite for me and Kyra. It still is. It's like a Netflix go-to. It's like the baseline. Like, you always got Netflix because if nothing else fails, you can always get to Michael Scott. 
and, and, and be reminded of all the good memories of, of The Office. But The Office is a fantastic show. Like all good sitcoms, they have great characters. The key to a good sitcom is to have great characters. The situational comedy just puts great characters in new situations and just watches things unfold. For example, uh, some of you guys know about Michael Scott. If you haven't seen the show before, he's kind of this like people-pleasing boss. He really wants people to like him. That's the kind of character they develop. And so some guy comes into the office and says he had spent time because of white-collar crime in prison and tells Michael Scott that, unfortunately, it was actually more fun to be in prison than to work at Dunder Mifflin, the paper office where Michael Scott works. So some of you guys remember this episode, but Michael Scott's response to that was not to kind of like course correct or, you know, kind of be amiable or be humble or be peaceable. Instead, what Michael Scott decides to do is like starts the next staff meeting with a purple do-rag on his head and claiming that he was now not Michael Scott. Indeed, he was Prison Mike. And so the voice impression was something like, I'm Prison Mike, and everyone around here is awesome. I've been to prison. It's really terrible, and the boss is great, and so you should be happy because I'm Prison Mike. And uh, nothing works out the way that, that Michael Scott wanted to. There's another time Michael Scott promised a group of third grade kids that he would pay for all their college education. And when that promise matured, they asked Michael Scott to come back. They had made t-shirts for him. They did a step dance for him. They named themselves Scott's Tots. And Michael had zero of the money because oftentimes as people pleasers, we often uh, make promises we can't, we can't fulfill. There's a character named Dwight Schrute who is just so kind of unbendingly black and white, which makes him such a great target for Jim's pranks. There's the one time that Jim added nickels to his phone for a couple of years or a couple of months, uh, and so the weight of the phone would get heavier and heavier, and then at the end of that time, he took the nickels out, and Dwight would hit himself in the face because the phone was too heavy. There was another time I was talking with my other Asian buddy in this uh, church, Daniel, about Asian Jim, which is a great episode, when Jim dressed up. Uh, actually, no, one time he dressed up like Dwight, but this episode, an Asian Jim episode, he had actually hired a stand-in Korean man to sit at his desk and act like he was now the new Asian Jim. Went so far as took pictures with his actual family, Jim's actual family, uh, this Korean guy did. And so Dwight uh, had just this paralysis, like crisis moment when he found out that his friend Jim wasn't actually Caucasian. He was Asian in the first place. Um, we, we, we like these shows. We listen to these shows. We, we associate with these characters, where, you know, whether it's Jim or Pam or Dwight or, 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 or Emily or, or sorry, uh, uh, Allison or whatever her name is, Toby. Uh, some of these characters that are uh, in the show because they're kind of like kind of too close to home. They're kind of like us. Like, in other words, I kind of laugh at Michael Scott, but I'm a little bit like Michael Scott. Like, I really want people to like me. We all want to be funny. We want to be thought of as nice. We want to be a good boss, a good leader. You know, I can be a little bit black and white. I can be a little bit harsh and stubborn. I can be a little bit closed-minded. I can be like Dwight. I can step on people's toes. We, we associate with these characters because we kind of are these characters, and we know characters like this. And this is the great humor of God. Like, I think we need to laugh at ourselves a lot more and take ourselves less seriously, take God seriously, but not take ourselves that seriously. Because, I mean, I thought about this the other day. Like, like somebody pointed this out to me, and I completely agree. I mean, the fact, the fact that Darrell and Matt Cochran are, like, best of buddies in our church is just an incredible, funny, funny thing to me. Like the fact that God has made us so different, not only just different characters in the office or different characters in TV shows, but we're completely different as people. And the differences don't stop at the door. I mean, have you started to think about the fact that the same God that, that called KJ52, the Christian rapper, into ministry is the same God that is calling and leading John Piper? I mean, stop to think about this for a second. The same God that is preaching and ministering to uh, through, you know, John Gray, you know, or uh, T.D. Jakes or, 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 or Rick Warren is the same God who's leading and teaching through Francis Chan or through Matt Chandler. 
Like this is the diversity of Christ, that, that our differences don't stop at the door, that the, the, the church is made to be different. In fact, the Holy Spirit uses our differences. He approves of our differences and he celebrates our differences. So in Ephesians 4, we've been talking about this church in Ephesus that is so different in its makeup. Paul is writing this, this letter kind of desperately to parent the church of Ephesus, the young church of Ephesus, knowing that, we'll find out in future chapters, that there's Jews in this church next to Gentiles in this church, that there's slaves in this church next to free people in this church, that there's you know, old people next to young people, that there's women next to men, that there is even in Romans or in Galatians, rather, he mentions that there's actually categories of people called barbarians that are in the same church as people that are not barbarians. That all of the diversity and eclectic mix that we have in plurality with our church and some of the difficulties we struggle with, Paul struggled with them even more and preaches this letter to them. And the good news that he gives us in Ephesians chapter 4, the good news that he tells us in this room is that our differences are not on accident, they're on purpose. And the good news that he tells us is that the Holy Spirit actually isn't working despite our differences, he's working through our differences. That the differences are here not to divide us. They're here to be celebrated. They're, they're here to, uh, to, to make us humble. They're here to make us interdependent. They're here to make us into a community. They're here to make us be able to hear God better through people that are not like us. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and one of the things that he's going to assert in this passage as I read it is that when it comes to the command of unity, the call of unity, that actually that call and command cannot be orchestrated by any one of us. The one that's in charge of unity is not you or me the leader or the elders at this church, the one that's in charge of unity is the Holy Spirit in our midst. The Holy Spirit gives a gift of unity, and what Paul would say is that it's not our job to create it, it's just our job to protect it. It's our job to participate in it. It's our job to realize it. It's our job to celebrate what it is that we already have. We don't have to earn it or make it or, or, or lead it or corral it or management. That unity itself is a spiritual gift that we're here to guard. And he says, so your job is actually really simple. That our job to grow into the maturity of Christ, and we're going we're to share a little bit about what that looks like in the process of growing from infants to maturity or from shaky into sturdiness. The one who does that for us on our behalf is the Holy Spirit, and our job is not to organize or lead or make or control or engineer or human plan or whiteboard. The job of the human saint is simply this, to speak the truth in love. Everybody say speak. Everybody say truth. Everybody say love. This is our job description in the name of moving from cordiality to conflict and competition and into real community and real cooperation. He says, the vehicle for this is actually not strategic planning. It's speaking truth, engaged and motivated by love. Take a look at this graph. Maybe this is what this would look like um, in our communities, in our families, uh, in our church this morning. Whoops, is there a chart that goes with that or it doesn't work? All right, we'll take it down. Let me explain it to you. Maybe this is what this looks like for us. Maybe you've grown up in a house that has a lot of love but doesn't have a lot of truth in it. I would call that an independent community. It's like grandma's house. We come together, we share a lot of stories, we laugh, we like to have fun, we like to go on vacations with each other, but pretty much when we get into our house, we're in the four corners with our iPhones and our iPads. We're not actually doing the same things at the same time. We have a cordiality, we're nice to each other, we laugh, we kind of share the same stories, but... But the, the breach of conflict, the breach of actually sharing who I am that I might be deeply known and deeply loved, that gap is too wide for us. And so we kind of just, we, we live independently under the same roof. That can happen in a small group, in a church, in a family. We've been part of families before that have lots of love but no truth. 
And the result of that is not actual unity. It's cordiality, it's comfort, it's coziness. People feel good. But in the way of actually stepping into sharing relationship and responsibility together, I go home with my responsibility and you go home with yours and we are not sharing the things that we do. Our mission, our values, our direction, our, our, our goals, they're not the same. It'd be too risky to have the same goals because we might fail at reaching those goals or I might not be having and reaching for the same goals as you. And so we go to Disneyland together, we like grandma's house together, but we are not unified in spirit. The other side of that spectrum is a household that you may be grown up in before with a lot of truth and very little love. And whenever there's a lot of truth and a little bit of love, there's only a narrow way to succeed. And so there's only one way to be, toe the line, dance the dance, say the speech, use the language. You've got to be like me for us to be together. And I would say that looks like unity, but really that's uniformity. The culture code of the, of the insecure, I would say, high truth, low love family is everybody trying to be like everybody else. And the fear that if I don't talk like this or sing like this or look like this, then I'm not valuable. And so the fruit of an insecure culture is when we're looking left and right to compare ourselves and compete with one another because there's only one gift to be celebrated. Maybe the worst of them all is with no love and no truth, and we're in an isolated community. That's where we actually don't even go on vacation with one another. We don't talk to each other. This is the dinner room that you've been a part of before that nobody talks. And the loudest thing you can hear is the silverware scratching on the plates. That's the isolated family. That's the isolated community. And Paul says, it's hard. It costs a lot. It makes us lean on the Holy Spirit. It means you actually have to speak the truth in love and not just preach great sermons. But if you were to speak the truth in love over six months, over six years, over ten years, then what you would find yourself is in a growing, blossoming, groomed, uh, uh, sanctifying church or family or relationship or marriage where you have mature community. So this is the quote I want us to think on today as we get into the passage. Paul declares in this passage that the measure of maturity is not the ability to preach great truth with passion, but the humility to speak great truth in love. The maturity of the Ephesians 4 church is not what we're doing in this room. It is what we're doing in our small group room on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. The growth that you'll take, the next step will not be some aha moment that I, I say or we talk about here on stage. It'll be when you go alongside somebody, another believer, and you have a difference of opinion. You have a thought that, that doesn't line up. And truth is true. We live in a relative world where we like to believe my truth is your truth and your truth is true. But we're going to talk, there's truth in that room. And what Paul is saying is like the temptation is we can be under the same roof but not unified in value. And we can go on in life and we can have our independent coffee and our independent Bible study and our independent thought process and our independent prayer life and never cross the boundary line of convenience and conflict to get into real community. This is what Paul is saying. But in that small group moment, in that coffee moment, in the moment outside in the lobby, if we were to get a vision for what it actually looks like not to not to chastise people with our version of the truth, but to come to them humbly with what we perceive as truth so that they might bring what they perceive as truth, we would actually stand to both grow out of that process into a, from a lowercase t, capital, lowercase t truth into a Jesus capital T truth. That through community, through love and truth, we would actually move from shakiness and infancy into maturity by way of what? By worshiping, by learning, by hearing messages, Paul is saying, no, the process is the Holy Spirit empowering us 
to speak the truth in love in every moment and every day. That's the, that's the pathway to unity. He says in this Ephesians 4.1, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I want to implore to you this morning that everything we're about to read from Ephesians 4 through 6 is the sequel to the original movie. Don't try and do anything in Ephesians 4 through 6 without reading first and remembering Ephesians 1 through 3. We are living in response to Ephesians 1 through 3. We are living in response to how much God has loved us. We are living into response to the fact that we woke up this morning and he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, that we, we are in security of his arms, that there's nothing we could do that can make him love us any more or nothing we could do to make him love us any less. And we live in this prolific, wonderful, secure, confident, not insecure. We live in this reality that Jesus loves us and he holds us. And he provides for us, and he's working for us, and he hasn't, he hasn't given us anything that's going, to, that's going to destroy us. And anything that comes, comes towards us, he's going to turn for good and turn for glory and turn for, for our province. And then we bear with one another, and then we love one another from that place of confidence and security. Not to get love, but because of love, we can lean into a life that is worth, worth the calling of Jesus He says, be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The unity belongs to the Spirit. It didn't belong to me. It doesn't have my name on it. It doesn't have City Light's name on it. It doesn't have anybody's name on it except for the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can have unity. There is only one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You see this one, one, one God, one Father who is over all and in all. This one time at City Church, this church I used to work at, there were three missionaries that came to speak to us. One guy's name was Amol. He's from India. Another guy's name was Rich Hodge. He's actually spoken here before, and he was part of YWAM. And the third guy's name was Gary Hippolyte. He's a Haitian guy who weighs about 120 pounds soaking wet. He can't find a shirt that his neck can fill into his collar because he's just so skinny, and I think because he sweats so much in Haiti, it's hard to keep on weight. But all three guys um, came to this mission thing, and they spoke. And, and it was like, I couldn't decide which one was more inspiring, which one was more passionate, which one had more power to it. Because after listening to them, I wanted to go to YWAM, I wanted to go to Haiti, I wanted to go to India, I like wanted to go to all of these places because of the passion these guys had. And I remember we sat down in the staff meeting afterwards on Tuesday, and they kind of shared their story. They shared what kind of was going on. And Amol was talking about this awesome ministry they have in India where basically they start these churches and when people come to Jesus and come to faith, they're invited into community and they're so loved and so covered and there's so much truth and grace and love in that family relationship that before long, after two years, you not only have people that are new believers, you have people that are ready to be church planners. So he has like this two-year vision where he will take anybody that comes in off the street, orphans and, and widows and, and broken people and, and crippled people, he would, he would take them off the street and he would minister them, care for them, and then literally the power of the Holy Spirit and the context spiritually of what's going on in India, they can actually take people that come into the church two years ago, now they're ready to plant churches. I'm like, whoa, what if that happened in America? That's crazy. And then Rich Hodge got up and shared, and he, and he shared about, I mean, some of you guys know Rich Hodge. It's like, do you know somebody that just because of the way they hold themselves and because of the authority they have, they just create a safe place for you just for once? Like he, he has this, he calls it the, the ministry of listening. And some of you guys at the Father's Heart Conference, and I mean, like, this is like a couple months ago, and people still talk about, I would say, what speaks the gospel to the American narrative, not the Indian narrative of like what it feels like to have everything but have nothing kind of. And to feel like the stuff that you have is actually owning you as opposed to you owning the stuff. And he speaks into that materialistic and depraved and depressed and isolated and anxious culture. And he speaks life and he lets you listen to yourself for one, one minute instead of listening to your critics. And then through that, hear the whisper of God in such a powerful ministry. 
And then Gary Hippolyte gets up, and I'd gone to Haiti before with this guy. I mean, this guy for the last five years has not slept in his alarm at four in the morning any single morning, any, any single day. He is up at four in the morning worshiping, praising, seeking Jesus. I mean, there's, there's not a day that isn't drenched in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, period. And it, get, it convicts you, and you just think, I wonder what I would get done if I had four hours of prayer behind every day. And you see what happens because you would be with him at four in the morning, but then you'd be with him at six at night. And thousands, hundreds of Haitians would come up to him and, and he'd have teams and they'd just heal all of them. I mean, like right out of the gospel, just healing and healing and healing and salvations and just kids coming to Jesus. And he runs an orphanage. It's like, gosh, I want to give my life to something that matters. And it's so funny because we had this meeting and, and after we got done with the meeting, it was lunchtime. And the pastor said, hey, we're going to go ahead and take a break. What does everybody want to do? And it was funny because these guys are so distinctly called, so uniquely called, and from different places and probably suffering from jet lag as well. It was funny that, that it was like as they left the room, they were almost going in all three separate directions but following the same Jesus. Like a mole's like, I've got to go work on my blueprint for the next church that I'm going to go plant, so I've got to see you guys later. And Gary's like, I'm going to go pray, brother. I'm going to go pray. It's like, that's his ethos. That's, that's him following Jesus. I mean, that's him following his personal call. Following the same Jesus, two different directions. And Rich, I, I swear, he says, let's go to YMCA, let's play basketball. And I'm like, and it's just as valuable. I'm like, that's ministry here in America. Like, people just need to go play basketball and not be so stressed all the time. You know, Jesus is leading all kinds of people in all different directions, but it's the same Jesus. Look at this on the screen. I want you guys to let this sink into you right now. 1 John 4, 2, it says, this is how you're going to recognize the Spirit of God in a room. This is how you know if the Holy Spirit's there. People in that room, when the Holy Spirit is there, they're going to, they're going to acknowledge Jesus Christ is from God. They're going, to, they're going to essentially say what the New Testament early church would say, that Jesus, the one that we know, the one that was dead, died, crucified, buried again, raised, he, he's not just a man, he's God, and he's Lord over everything. That's how you know. And Paul says there's only one spirit, there's only one son, there's only one father, there's only one baptism, there's one church. And so, that, so, so this, this, this teaching is that, that anybody in 1 John, anybody that is able to say that the name of Jesus and Lord in their life is a work of the spirit, and anybody that would come against or judge that person or, or limit that person or say that that person's gift is less than somebody else, anybody that would stand against any other believer or any other church or any other leader or any other doctrine or any other body that says that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is raised, anybody that would say that's less than something else is grieving the Holy Spirit. The unity of the Holy Spirit basically says this, you don't have the monopoly on any conversation. Heaven is so much bigger than you, and that is a good thing. There are people that are connecting with God by reading Old Testament commentaries, and there's people connecting with God by swinging flags in the middle of a worship service. And both of them honor Jesus. Don't get in their way. Both of them are following Jesus. Don't get in the way. There are people that, that, that get outdoors. Some of you guys are naturalists, and you go outside, and you're like, gosh, I connect with God outside so well. But not everybody does that. Some people are, are just as satisfied to play a song or spend time with their kids or go on a boat ride. What I'm saying is that there isn't a relev, you know, relativism here. It's not that anything goes, but, but what is most important is the main thing. There's a difference between the minor things and the major things, and the major thing is that Jesus is Lord. I just want you to think about this and worship with me for a second. Jesus is speaking every language. 
He's speaking at all times. He's speaking to every type of personality. He's using body language. He's using love languages. He's using communication languages. He's using film school languages. He's speaking to accountants and prostitutes. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to people in Africa and Haiti in ways that we don't know how to speak. And I'm glad that I'm not the one who has to speak on his behalf. He's speaking to his bride. He's speaking to his children. So the unity thing starts with God speaks in languages that are foreign to me, and I'm thankful. God's speaking to an accountant who's a thinker, not a feeler like you, and that's great. They don't need to learn from you to get to God. They can get to God through their language. So unified church has to start with this idea. I'm not the only one that hears from Jesus. And Jesus isn't waiting for me to teach everybody else to to listen to Jesus the way that I listen to Jesus. The question I have on my heart is, are they making Jesus Lord? It's very simple. Are they making Jesus Lord? Because if he's making Jesus Lord, if she's making Jesus Lord of her life, if they're following in Jesus, then it's a work of the Holy Spirit, not of mine, and it's nothing for me to, to, to inhibit or endorse or to make better or to make stronger. That's the Holy Spirit. My job is to support. My job is to speak the truth in love. Next verse. But each one of us has a grace that has been given to us as Christ has apportioned. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, I'm going to rush to this point, he took captives and gave gifts to his people. I love that this picture is that when Jesus takes somebody captive, he gives people gifts. When Hitler took people captive, he would would decimate them. When, 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 what is it, William Tecumseh Sherman, when he he made his his campaign through the South, his his wreckage, his, his wake was burning in destruction. And people say that's what power does to people, that that power is corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely, that all authority is bad and you can't trust anybody once they're in the place of leadership. And that might be true except in the case of Jesus because when Jesus is elevated, he elevates everyone else around him. The leaders of, of evil would use their power to push down those around them in order to elevate themselves. But the leaders of the kingdom, here's how you know that Jesus has been in a room, is that, that when he leaves the room, people are lifted higher than they were when, they, when he got there. I love Dallas uh, Porter had a great quote on his Facebook. I'll quote you, buddy. He said this. He said, leaders aren't the best people in the room. They just help other people get better. So I ask you that question. What's in your wake? What, are you, what, what is the environment you're creating for your children, for your, for your classroom? Are you a person that, as you're raised up, do you elevate people or do you push people down? This is the Lord that we follow. So he says he ascended, meaning uh, how could he say he's ascended except for the fact that he's descended to the lower regions, the earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip others for works of service. This is Jesus. He's like, I'm not insecure. I'm not afraid you're going to be more glorious than me. What, what kind of fear is that? I'm not insecure about you. I'm not scared to allow you to... to to be lifted up and raised up in giftedness. You're not just a peasant, you know, a poor person looking for another scrap of bread. You're lifted up to reign and rule with me. And you do that in different ways, a variety of ways. And I love these words right here. Apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. I love these more than Myers-Briggs and Enneagram because Myers-Briggs teaches you about how to be an individual. The fivefold teaches you how to give gifts and insists that you're not different because you're supposed to be by yourself and figure out why you get to be you and nobody else can tell you what to do. That's independence, that individualism. If that's what personality tests do for you, run away from them. If personality tests put you in a pigeonhole and tell you, well, you're just a two, or you're just an INFP, or you're just this and this that. You're just being a, oversensitive, a feeler, a thinker. No, you're a son. And the personality test that matters most is, is, is not who am I so I can be me? It's who am I so I can give to the church and build it up. You're a giver. Your personality is to be given. And if it's not a personality that lends itself towards giving, it's not a real personality. 
You are made to give. You are made to build. You are made to leave people richer. You're made to lift other people up in your wake. So I want to spend kind of the rest of my time on just these five words and then close out on an application. Every one of us in our families, in our workplaces, have these five things, by the way. Like the gifts are irrevocable. Like I think that if Kanye West was a pastor, he'd probably preach amazing sermons. <laughs> People are gifted. It's a matter of how do you use your gifts. And a matter of are you a mature person in your gift or are you growing in immaturity? The apostle wants to get it done, man. The apostle has a vision, has a plan. Let's move. Why didn't we move yesterday? Apostles have a dream and they, they, they dream about getting others to walk into the destiny of God. The apostles are needed in the church because a lot of time the church likes to be cozy and comfortable and safe and, and, and traditional. And the apostle's job is to shake us up and get us going because we like to sit around and talk about the same issues over and over and over again. And the apostle says, no, we're going to get to heaven. Let's go. The weakness of the apostles is that they can be a little brash. They can be quick and not consider other people's humanity and kind of feelings. And so the apostle needs the rest of the church because sometimes they can step on some, some people's toes. I've heard people say that there's a lot of 30-year-old apostles that could and should get promoted into their destiny, but they're not getting promoted because they don't know how to lead people. They only know how to think well and have good ideas. So the apostle moves fast and sometimes without the church, and the question is not can the apostle get smarter, it's can the apostle help others get better in going for God. If you're an apostle, you might think about that question. If you're a pastor, you're the HR person. You're the one, whether you work at Starbucks or work at GE, it doesn't matter if you're HR or what department you hold. They come to you because you're a safe place. They know that if they share something with you, it's not going to get around, and they know they're going to care about and you're going to listen to them. That's your gift. You're, you're, you're a pastor. You're not an INFJ. You're not a two on the Enneagram. You're a pastor, first and foremost. And your job is to care for people. But what we also know is that pastors sometimes struggle giving the truth part of grace. And so the pastor needs to learn in its, his maturity or her maturity that pastoring isn't on us. Ultimately, there's a capital P pastor. So if you're a caretaker, you, you know, your growth process is, is to learn how to get out of the feeling zone and, and lean into the truth zone a little bit more and learn how to pastor people into Jesus and not just pastor people into you. The teacher's job is, is annoying to the apostles sometimes because the teacher's job is to slow everything down. We've got to make sure that everybody can get this. We've got to make sure that everybody can understand this. And so the teacher's job is to instruct the rest of the body on the word of God and help complex things get simple and help people create systems and patterns so we're not just doing everything on accident, but there's a structure to this thing. If you're a, you know, an accountant, if you're somebody that likes to take detailed notes, if you're somebody that likes to see things written out in bullet points, you probably have a little bit of this gift in you. By the way, we're all of these things. And God loves to put you in things that you're not good at so you can grow and strengthen and empathize with others and know why you need them. But a lot of us have base, base gifts, and I'd probably say this is the one that I'd lean into most. Examples of this, for example, would be, you know, in the kingdom, it'd be like a John Piper or a Matt Chandler. In the, in the secular world, it'd probably be like a Woodrow Wilson, if you guys ever did any history kind of personality profiles. I'll go backwards because I forgot some of these names. For example, the pastor would be Mother Teresa or Bob Goff, Brandon Manning, some of you guys know who that is. The apostles of our life, probably, you know, the Rick Warrens or in the secular world, the Steve Jobs of the world, the visionaries, the big picture thinkers. Are you an apostle? You are an apostle, not on accident, on a purpose, so you can give your gift to God. The prophet is the one that's obsessed with this question. I know God said that a long time ago, but what is God saying now? You know, God says to walk the extra mile, but he also says, leave your father and mother. So the prophetic you know, interpretation needs to judge the season and needs to, needs to 
see with spiritual eyes and not just natural wisdom and understanding. And, and the prophetic group of people need to be empowered to interpret for the church or at least hear for the church so the church can interpret maybe what God is not just saying a long time ago, but what God is saying right now. And I often think that sometimes the most secular, you know, prophetic people we've ever seen is people like, you know, um, Bob Dylan. You know, like speaking a timely word to define the season and the steps in that season. That's what the prophetic gift is supposed to be doing. And I've seen all types of people and all types of families doing the wrong thing. Or let's say they're doing the right thing, but in the wrong season. Because they're lacking this kind of prophetic unction. This is what the God has given us in our church. Lastly, the evangelist. Reaching as many people for the good news as possible. They have tons of people on their iPhone index. They got tons of connections. They never meet a person that they don't love and know. They're people that are includers. They can't, they can't even, they, like they can't stop themselves from sharing things on Facebook and on Instagram because they're just so excited about the new food or the new thing that they're doing. And, and, and they want to invite people into it. But the weakness of the evangelist can oftentimes be that we're, you know, a mile, a mile wide and spread thin. And the question for the evangelist is, will we reach people, but will we also teach people? Will we lift them up? And these are the fivefold gifts. Just a couple of thoughts on that as the fivefold gifts is that think about it this way. If you, if you hear God through one of these five voices, through one of these five lenses, it means that you're not a personality, you're a gift. And you're not a burden, you're a blessing. You're something that the church needs, and we need you to be activated, not to be silent, but to speak the truth in love. But here's the other part of that. You only hear 20% of the conversation. And as prophetic as you are, there are people in your life that need to speak to you as teachers. And as pastoral as you are, there are people in your life that need to get you going. Because your tendency is to hold and dominate 20% of the conversation, which should be 100% of the pie. A couple thoughts as we go here. This, I believe, is what uh, John Piper admonishes us to do. Um, John Piper, what am I talking about? Paul, I got all these names running around in my head from this teaching. John Piper, love that guy, bless you. Doing great things for the kingdom. Three quick things as we go. This is our job, this is our job description. He doesn't, we're not, we don't make ourselves teachers. We're not asking for a raise. We just walk with God and speak the truth in love. The first thing that Paul tells us to do is to speak. You know it's easy to talk without speaking? That's what Paul Simon said. What you need to do in small group is say, I need prayer, I'm struggling. Paul says, you got to speak because the tendency, we don't speak. We're not responsible. We don't steward our heart. We don't think about what our needs are. And we think other people are supposed to read our mind and tell us what we're thinking and feeling and what we should do. He's like, no, that's your job. Your job is to speak. No one's going to ask you the right question to get you to speak. Your job is to come to group and be like, this is my fear. This is my hope. This is what I'm stuck on. This is what I need. But instead, we get to group and we say, ah, go Tigers. <laughs> we just run the circle. Like we're speaking without talking. And he's saying, you could do that all day long, but you're going to end up in an individualist society. No, no, you can't be silent. You got to speak. You got to know where your heart is. You got to know what Jesus is saying. It's your responsibility to speak and not be silent. That's our job. Our job isn't to boss people or to get a great plan. It's real simple. If you want a church that is not shaky and infantile and balanced on one gift and moved to and fro by the doctrine, your job is not to boss, it's just to speak. Where's your heart? Share that. Speak. Speak. Tell people. Explain. Share. Number two is truth. When you share, Share honestly, share openly, share vulnerably. That's your job. A lot of times we think this is come and speak the truth with a capital T. You notice it's not a capital T truth. 
Oh, brother, you know, I got to go down there and just uh, give them a word. God, brother, I've read it in the word, though, Matthew 6, 18, said, blah, blah, blah. and then you just go in there like as though you're the boss. on. No, no, no. It's a lowercase t. Share your perspective of the truth and watch how half of it's wrong. And then walk in love into the capital T truth, which doesn't need you speaking to speak. Truth is true, whether you're loud or quiet, whether you speak or not, truth will remain true with or without you. The question isn't, are you going to bring truth? The question is, are you going to help find it? Do you know that finding truth with questions is better done with questions than statements? Here's how we speak the truth in love. How are you doing today? Tell me more about that. Sounds like you're kind of sad, needing prayer. Do you think that you're bringing some, of, some insecurity into that conversation that you don't need to carry anymore? Can we pray for that in truth and in power? You see the difference between, oh man, we got to go run through a wall and just, we got to just throw away all the caution tape here and just go after it. And just really, if we just spoke the truth and really punch people in the face with the Bible, we'd be good to go. No. We, we walk into with tenderness and care into the capital T truth, which is the only truth that's going to hold us. And lastly, love. In many ways, he just says, look, if you're going to live according to your calling, you just got to you got to bear with people in love. you got to stay at the table. A lot of this stuff is just, it's just time. It's not telling people to be safe. It's creating a safe place for people. And it's, it's showing love and, and demonstrating love and prioritizing love over time. I'm going to invite the band to come forward um, as we transition into this last song and an opportunity for potentially giving into Switch. But Paul's in a prison in Rome, and he's writing desperately that the church would be sturdy and not shaky. He knows there's differences in our church. He knows that we've got obstacles. He knows we listen differently, and we love differently, and we speak differently, and we think differently. We come from different denominations. He knows the obstacles we're up against. But you know what else he knows? He knows the power of the Holy Spirit. And he knows what the Holy Spirit can do in three weeks and three months and six months and a year if people would just bring themselves to one another. Like, that's all it is. Discipleship isn't a manual. It's can you bring yourself into community, share yourself, speak the truth, and when, when the Holy Spirit speaks in community, will you respond to it or not? Are we growing or are we stuck? Are we giving our gift or keeping and holding our gift? The Holy Spirit is so much more powerful than our differences. And no one of us is, is, is the architect of unity. Only the Holy Spirit brings unity to what is otherwise a divided room. Outside of the Holy Spirit, we are divided and, and, and our diversity causes to separate us. But inside the Holy Spirit, our, divi- our diversity actually matures us. It shapes us. It gives us the truth that we can't see. The other, 40, the other 80% or four-fifths of the conversation in the fivefold that teachers listening to prophets, listening to evangelists, listening to apostles can together hear what the capital T truth is. I want you guys to stand and we're going to do this last offering that I would love for you guys to be responsive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. Switch is a wonderful, um, a wonderful neighborhood ministry that you guys heard a little bit about and you've heard from Carol Ann last week. And we're just in a season of just trying to respond well to what Jesus is doing. And if it's $5 or $10 or $50, all the money that we'll give today to uh, additional giving or the, anything that makes it into this offering will be set aside for neighborhood ministry. We felt a call. Oftentimes we got to give the things that we don't have and, and we just need to be obedient in every season. And we've just felt a call, God, if we would lean into needs, 
I found that the greatest amounts of power we see in Acts chapter two and other places, it comes in the place of need. And so God, we're going towards need, not away from it. And as we run towards need, we know that we're gonna find you there. We know we're gonna find power, we know we're gonna find vision, we're gonna find love, we're gonna find unity as we go towards you. And so we're not waiting on power to go, we're gonna go and then expect the power to come. So I want you to pray with the Holy Spirit about how to give. There's gonna be opportunities to do, um, what's the Clover app? I can't remember the, the slide thing to pay with credit card outside. You can also pay with cash or check here or pay all week long online. Would love for you to consider your part in supporting um, us going to this gala and supporting ultimately the Switch Ministry, which partners with, uh, which aims to set free um, sex trafficking in our city. God, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We love what happens when we get out of the way and we let you take control. I thank you for the gifts. Uh, and I thank you for the personalities in this room. They're here on purpose. And I pray that you would lead us from infancy into maturity by way of unity and by way of your Holy Spirit. We, we, we don't monopolize the conversation. We listen to what you have to say. And we're listening to what you have to say now in this moment. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please subscribe and leave us feedback on our iTunes channel. For more information about our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. Thanks again for exalting Jesus with us.